Fantastic. Atamarie, good morning, church. It's so good to see you all. And I want to congratulate you uh, because we have been in a sermon series in which we've been going through Psalm 23. And congratulations, you made it. We're at the end of the journey. We're at the end of the Psalm. Next week when you come in, we will not be talking about Psalm 23. And we probably won't sing The Lord is My Shepherd as a song again. So I hope you sang it really hard out this morning because that's kind of going to be the last opportunity you get. We're on to something else next week. Uh, But it's been the end of the journey, so I get to speak this morning on Psalm 23 verse 6. This is what it says. It says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God bless the reading of His Word. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank You for Your Word, and we thank You that You are the Good Shepherd. Lord, I pray this morning that we would see You, that You would reveal Yourself to us, and that we would be transformed as we see You. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Well, the language of coming to the end of the journey is actually really important when we begin to look at how an Israelite person would have read the psalm in the Old Testament. You see, an Old Testament Jewish person, they would have read this psalm as like a bit of a journey, as a journey through the wilderness to a glorious homecoming at the end of the psalm. See, you need to understand about the Israelite people is that one of the chief ways that they saw themselves or one of the chief ways that they understood themselves was as a people who knew about wandering through the wilderness. They saw themselves as a people who knew all about journey, who saw themselves as a people who went through some wilderness wanderings. You see, if you talk to an Old Testament Jewish person and you said, what is the most important narrative or what is the most important biblical story to you? They would have said the Exodus event. What happens in the Exodus? God radically rescues Israel from the bondage of a foreign power. And then He leads them through a wilderness wandering. And it concludes with a glorious homecoming in which they come to the promised land, a land in which He will dwell with His people. That's how they saw themselves. They saw themselves as a journeying people. And actually later in Israelite history, when Israel is exiled by Babylon and all the people or most of the people are taken from the land to Babylon, when Isaiah begins to prophesy to them and tell them what God is going to do, he's like, remember, the Exodus event because God's going to do it again. He says, this is what's going to happen. God's going to radically rescue you from a foreign power, a foreign oppressor. And then He'll take you through the wilderness on a journey. And it will conclude with a glorious homecoming in which you come home to the city of God, the place where I will dwell with you. Then when Jesus comes on the scene and the gospel writer Mark begins to write the story of Jesus, this is the lens that he views the story of Jesus through. He's like, Israel, this is what Jesus is doing for you. He's rescuing you from the oppression of sin, from the oppression of foreign idols, from the oppression of death. He's going to take you through a journey through the wilderness. And Jesus' journey, it concluded with His triumphal entry, His triumphal homecoming into the city of God, where He was crowned as King, not on a throne, but on a cross. 
You see, the way that an Israelite would have understood themselves is as a person who went through some wilderness wanderings, but whose journey would complete with a glorious homecoming in which they would dwell with God's people forever. And how many people know that's what's happening in Psalm 23? It's exactly what's happening in Psalm 23. The Lord is a good shepherd and we are His sheep. He leads us on a journey through the wilderness. He leads us on a journey through some wilderness wanderings. And what does the Good Shepherd do? He provides for us on the journey. He provides us with food, with water, with shelter, with restoration in the wilderness. He is the one who, when you are struggling to find the right way on the journey, He's going to guide you to the right paths. He is the companion, even when your journey leads you through the valley of the shadow of death. He's the one who's going to correct you when you start wandering off the right paths. He's the one who's going to protect you, but then it doesn't stop there. See, He's not just the good shepherd who provides for you on the journey. He's also the host who welcomes you home in a glorious homecoming, who prepares a table for you, even in the presence of your enemies, who welcomes you into His home and anoints your head with oil, whose provision for you is so lavish and abundant that surely your cup will overflow. He's the one whose goodness and His mercy will follow you. You see, the thing that you need to understand about this psalm is that it presents God not just as a good shepherd who provides for you on the journey, but as a good host who provides a journey's end when you need it. So you need to understand today that the wilderness place, it's the space in between, isn't it? It's the space in between where you were, but not quite yet where you want to be. And how many people know we spend some time in those transition spaces? We spend some time in those wilderness spaces. As I talk to a room like this, so many of you have lived this year in the in-between. The in-between where you were, but not quite where you are. And you need to understand that if that's you today, God is your good shepherd. He's the one who provides for you in the in-between. He's the one who provides for you in the wilderness. But more than that, He's also the one who provides you with a finish line. He's also the one who provides for you a journey's end. See, He's not just the God who provides in the wilderness. He's the God who opens His home to you when your journey reaches its fulfillment. He's not just the good shepherd. He's also the good host. And you know, I don't want you to think today that the interpretation of this verse is just to do with eternity. See, many commentators have thought about the idea that perhaps this verse, surely goodness and mercy will follow me and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. They've thought about the fact that this might just apply to our eternal destination when we have a glorious homecoming with our Saviour in heaven at the end of the wilderness wanderings of this life. And I want you to know today that that is part of the application of this verse. Because you need to understand today that if the Lord is your shepherd, that is what is promised unto you. 
that at the end of the wandering journey of this thing called life, we will one day have a glorious homecoming when we see our Saviour face to face and we will dwell in His house forever. But I want to tell you today that to think of this verse exclusively in terms of eternity is a too narrow application. It's a too narrow application. And I don't think it's necessarily what David intended. You see, that word forever, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, in the Hebrew, it's kind of a vague, ambiguous word. It can mean forever as in eternity, but it can also mean, and it's far more often translated as length of days. For the length of my earthly life, I will dwell in the house of the Lord. So you need to understand today that God is not only the good shepherd in this life who provides for us on our life's journey, but even within this life, He's the one who provides journey's ends. And the picture is this, God equally opens up His house at the end of our lives when our lifespan is complete, but He also opens up His home to us at the end of the day. Because sometimes, friends, I get to 5pm at the end of the day and I feel like I have walked a journey and I need the good host to open up His home for me. And I'm grateful today that the only finish line in life, that the only finish line in life isn't the one at the end of my life, but that God provides me finish lines in the in-between where He opens up His home to me in the midst of my wilderness wanderings. I'm glad that He is still the good shepherd and the good host because my observation in life is that it moves in cycles and seasons, doesn't it? See, we have the big start called birth and we have the big finish called death. But between that, you have lots of starts and ends, don't you? See, a day can represent a start and an end. A week can represent a start and an end. There can be a trial that you're working, walking through that has a start and an end. A journey of sickness can be a start or an end. A journey through a testimony can be a start and an end. School is a start and the end. Raising young children is a start and an end. And I'm grateful today that in our wanderings on earth, that he provides little opportunities to stop and rest in the house of the Lord. Because the truth is, some of you today have been on some journeys that have felt real long. And you've prayed prayers like, God, when will this journey come to an end? When will I see the end of this season? And you need to understand today that he is not only the good shepherd who promises to provide you for you on the journey. He is also the good host who promises to provide a journey's end. He promises to provide you a journey's end. See, this understanding is actually reflected in the New Testament, where he is both good shepherd and good host. This is what it says in John 10, 14. It says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. 
And then in the book of Ephesians, it shows that God goes beyond just inviting us into our home. In fact, in Ephesians, it shows us, in the New Testament, it shows us that God wants to live with us so badly that he chooses to build us into his home. Ephesians 2.22, and in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So you need to understand today that in this life, there are times you're going to be a sheep and there are times when you're going to be a guest. There are times when he's going to be your shepherd and there are times when he's going to be your host. And friend, whatever picture resonates with you more right now in this place probably depends on what you need him to be right now. See, for some of you in this place, you need him to be your good shepherd. You need him to be the one who nourishes you with food and water, who provides you with a place of rest in the wilderness. In this season right now, you need him to be the shepherd who is at work restoring your soul. In your season right now, you need him to be the shepherd who is providing you with the guidance of the right paths to walk in, who's correcting you when you need it, who's protecting you from your enemies. But some of you need something else. Some of you need him to be the good host who's welcoming you home at the end of the journey, who's celebrating you with a glorious banquet, who's letting every enemy that's tried to pursue you know that you belong to him, who's anointing your head with oil and whose goodness and his mercy is following you. See, whether you need him to be a shepherd or whether you need him to be a host, he has been, can be and will be that's who he is and that's why David starts the psalm by saying the Lord is my shepherd I lack nothing because everything you need him to be from the wilderness to the home that's who he'll be because he's the shepherd and he's the host we're the sheep and we're the guest see that's who he is That's why Jesus, he concludes, David concludes, surely goodness and mercy will follow me and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And if you want, if you're, you'll let me, I want to be able to just break down that verse a little bit to say what's really happening. See that verse, when David writes it, this is what he wants you to think. He wants you to be in the mindset that you've come to the end of a day. Imagine that for a second that you've come to an end of a day and you're reflecting on a journey that you've been taking. It could be the journey of the day. It could be the journey of the week. It could be the journey of sickness. It could be the journey through the death of a loved one. It could be the journey of seeing adult children leave your house. It could be the journey of any of those things. And the journey has come to an end. And you're lying in your bed, safely in the house of the host, having had a glorious banquet, having been anointed with oil, and you're reflecting on that which you've experienced. And your confession as you reflect back is surely goodness and mercy follow me. Let's break that down verse by verse. What surely means is certainly, assuredly, Definitely, without a doubt. In other words, David doesn't reflect back and say, maybe, maybe goodness and mercy follow me. 
He doesn't reflect back and say, perhaps goodness and mercy follow me. He looks back over his journey. He looks back over his time in the wilderness and he goes, this one thing I know for sure, that even when I tried to get away from it, goodness and mercy were right there following me without a doubt, it's a fact. Surely goodness and mercy. And then he talks about these concepts, goodness and mercy, which are attributes, characteristics of God. And both of them, can I just say, could have whole sermons by themselves, but I'm not going to do that to you, okay? I was tempted, but I'm not. See, goodness and goodness itself is, is almost too big, too broad to even explain. The Hebrew word that David is using is goodness in its broadest sense. It's talking about physical, moral, practical, economic, spiritual, emotional, eternal grace that is extended towards you and me. Goodness is talking about the perfection of God, but it doesn't stop there. It's the way the perfection of God manifests in you and my life. It's He's not just a good God. Come on, somebody. He does good things. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. And so goodness and mercy, goodness isn't just some up there concept. God's goodness manifests in our lives and good things. And he says, goodness is following us. Then he goes on to say mercy. Mercy is the Hebrew word hasad. It's the collision place of God's generosity, His loyalty and its love. It's where all of those things combine. You see, God's love isn't just normal love. It's loyal love. It's not going anywhere. It's committed to you and it's staying with you. And it manifests in acts of generosity and deliverance and forgiveness of sins. This is what mercy is. Mercy doesn't just saying God pardoning you for what you've done. No, no, no. It's His loyal, unfailing, unrelenting, always chasing you down love. Goodness and mercy will follow me. That word follow, can I just tell you? Very weak English translation of the Hebrew. Follow in the Hebrew is radap. It means to pursue, to follow after. Get this, to persecute. And most times when it's used in the Hebrew Bible is actually in a military intent. When one party is pursuing the other with harmful intent. Actually, the picture is this. The picture is a hunter chasing down the hunted. And David says, this is what goodness and mercy does to us. It doesn't just passively follow us. It's not just following at a distance. No, no, no. Goodness and mercy, it is chasing you down. It is hunting you down. You look behind you, boom, goodness is there. You look behind you, well, mercy's still there. Why? Because it's tracking you. It's persecuting you. It's running after you. That's what's happening. Oh, Wow. That's got to, that's exciting. Give me a moment, I'll just have a breath. Yeah, no water, no, I'm fine. I'm puffed out from trying to outrun. Oh, no, somebody. Okay, don't get me started again. And what's interesting about that is that in the previous verse, David has just said that, that God prepares a table for him in the presence of his enemies. Normally, enemies are the things that are pursuing, Right? 
Normally enemies are the things that are hunting down. And this is what David says. David says that when I reflect on my journey, my overwhelming impression isn't that my enemies were chasing me. My overwhelming impression isn't that fear was chasing me. Come on, somebody. It's not that sickness was chasing me. It's not that anger was chasing me. It's not that my past was chasing me. It's not that depression was chasing me. No, 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 no. When I look back on my life, the overwhelming impression I get is that goodness and mercy, they have been hunting me down all the days of my life. All the days of my life. This is David's confession as he reflects back at journey's end. And you know, as I talk to this room, and I'm so blessed to know so many of you, there are some journeys that are represented here. As I look around this room, I know the way many of you have wandered through some wildernesses in incredibly faithful and inspiring ways. We are blessed to be part of a church family like this, right? I know so many of you have been on some journeys through some wildernesses. Listen, this year, can I tell you what the Good Shepherd has journeyed me through? This year, the Good Shepherd has journeyed me through putting down a a job that I really love. Many of you will know that for the past four years, I've been the principal of the Bible College at Elam Leadership College. And I want you to know it's a role that I have been privileged to do and I've adored. I've utterly adored. But in the lead up to Don and I having a family, we really felt from the Lord that to do the college, to do the church, And to build a family was just not something that God was asking us to do. And so in preparation for us to have a family, we felt that I needed to transition out of the role and that will happen at the end of the year. And can I tell you that that has been a wilderness for me. And surely goodness and mercy have followed me there. And I look around the room And I see beautiful faces who've journeyed through sickness. I see wonderful people who've journeyed through the the ending of a business. You've journeyed through financial insecurity. You've journeyed through things with your kids. You've journeyed through jobs coming to an end. You've journeyed through study. You've journeyed through adult kids leaving home. I look around and I look at this place and I know that if I sat you down one-to-one, And I said, tell me about your journey and tell me about your wilderness. I know what you would say. You would say, surely goodness and mercy have followed me there. And friend, if that isn't your confession yet, then perhaps it's not the end of the journey yet. Perhaps there's more to go. Perhaps the author is still authoring your story. He says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The house of the Lord represents the place where God dwells. It's the the house of the host. It's the place where you dwell with God's own presence. And you need to understand that when I say that phrase, house of the Lord, the emphasis isn't on the place, it's on the person who lives there. See, in a couple of verse, uh, chapters, in a couple of Psalms later, David is going to use this exact phrase. He's going to say again, dwell in the house of the Lord, but he's going to use it in a slightly different way. It's a famous verse. This is what he says in Psalm 27, verse 4 to 5. He says, one thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, 
that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. He says, David says that he wants to dwell in the house of the Lord. And then in two verses, he refers to that house or that place using four different words, house, temple, pavilion, and tabernacle. And I want you to know that it's four different words in the Hebrew as well as the English. And what David is effectively saying is this. He's saying, God, wherever you are, be it temple, be it house, be it pavilion, be it tabernacle, God, wherever you are, that is exactly the place that I desire to be. Notice that he says that he doesn't just want to visit with this place. He says, I want to dwell in it. Dwell means to remain, to abide in. It's the picture of coming into a place and making your home there. He's like, this isn't a place that I just want to visit on Sundays or visit once a week. This is the place that I want to live in. Because David's like, listen, this presence of God feels more like a home to me than anywhere I've ever been in the world. This presence of God makes me feel more content, more like I belong, more secure, more loved than anywhere else I have wandered in this world. And so coming here once a week, not enough. Just visiting, not enough. Coming here once or twice won't satisfy me. No, no, no. This is the place that I desire to live in. This is the place I desire to dwell in because it feels more like a home to me than anything else could. And see, the reason that David speaks like this is not because he thinks the house is great. You know, when you're a kid, you walk into a house, right? Your friend's house and your friend's house is flash. You're like, man, I want to live here. You want to live for like five minutes and then you start missing mum and dad, right? Because a house isn't about the place. A house is about the host. And David had such a revelation of a host that he was like, if you cut me open, the deepest desire of my heart is that I dwell with this good shepherd and good host forever. If the band would like to come. I want you, if you're able to uh, remember back to the first message that uh, Don preached on the psalm. If you can't remember, that's okay, because it was a lot of weeks ago. But it says in Psalm 23 verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And I want for a moment to compare journey's start with journey's finish. Because uh, Psalm 23, very interestingly, only has two usages of the sacred name of God, which is Yahweh, meaning I am that I am. And it's once in the first verse and once in the last. See, David wants us to know that the all-powerful covenantal God of Israel, he's the one who wants to be our good shepherd. 
and the all-powerful covenantal God of Israel. He's the one who wants to host us in his home. But one of the things that Don said is that he said, when you look at that verse, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, it automatically asks us a question. And the question that it asks us is, is the Lord my shepherd? Because all of the promises of the rest of the psalm hang on our decision to make the Lord not just the shepherd, but my shepherd. But at the end of the psalm, we see that David is again asking us a question. And the question is this. Do you desire not just to visit with the host? Do you desire to live with him? Because the reality is he deeply desires to live with you. And that's what the picture of the house of the Lord is all about. See, this picture of the house of the Lord or the temple of God is actually what we call a biblical meta-narrative. It's a story that is outworked the entire way through the Bible. And the whole point of it is this. From the beginning all the way through to the end, God desires to be a God who lives with his people. And when that becomes real to you, it becomes my desire to live with him too. See, I remember I walked through a season uh, once where I was just consumed, wracked with like a very intense fear of death. And I remember in this season going for a walk and I was praying to God. And I said, God, how can I feel like this and be a Christian? (laughs) How can I feel like this when your word says that perfect love casts out all fear? I must need a revelation of your love. And as I began to pray that, I felt like the Holy Spirit began to speak to me. And he said, Haley, when you go visit your friends, when you spend time with your friends, you go for a set amount of time and you leave. (laughs) But when I come and live with you, I come and make a home with you because I don't want to leave you. And when you think about that, when you think about the fact that this all-powerful God who hung the stars, this omnipotent God for whom nothing is impossible, this all-sufficient God who doesn't need anything from us, who has no lack within us, when you think about how this God comes and makes a home in us because he doesn't want to be anywhere else, how could your soul not respond by saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. 
You anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 